Amen. Thanks, Ryan. Morning, everybody. My, thank you. Good morning. <laughs> My name is Nick Storm. I've met a lot of you guys, um, but if you don't know me, I'm on staff at Alito. I help with uh, the groups and connect and a bunch of other random things that a church plant has to do. And then uh, I get to help Ryan with groups over here. It's been a lot of fun. And so if I haven't got to meet you yet, love to meet you after today. Um, but yeah, let's jump into it. I guess I'm not in too big of a hurry. I'm not on a time crunch right now because I, didn't have to dr- I don't have to drive somewhere else next, but uh, uh, I just got to drive here from Alito. So anyway, um, Psalm 100, we're jumping into it. Psalm of Thanksgiving. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah. Yes. Kids, please tell me, or grown-ups too, some things that you guys are grateful for, hopefully, or you're thankful for. Yell it out. Family. Christmas tree. Parents. Good answer. God. Good answer. Lucas said the Cowboys, I think. That's what I heard. No, he doesn't. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, hey, I love it. I think about Thanksgiving, and I remember, thankful for people. That's good. I remember, you know, around the table, and our parents, you know, they're like, let's go around and say some things we're thankful for. I'm like, I just want to eat, you know, but... Uh, you know, you do that in practicing, having thankful hearts, having gratitude. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today, um, as was read earlier, I believe, uh, Psalm 100, Psalm of Thanksgiving. Um, when I think of uh, being thankful, the first thing that actually came to my mind, um, about once a month or so, we do a, a soul care meeting with the Alito's church staff and Fort Worth's church staff, and uh, Ryan usually leads those, and we did one a few months ago, and Ryan wanted us to just list out things that we were grateful for, things that we enjoyed that the Lord had given us as gifts, specifically just things that we we enjoyed. We got to take part in uh, or to, uh, I guess, reap the benefits of that the Lord has given us. And so, for example, I said some things like uh, my wife, college football, camping, campfires, um, being outside. Um, and one of the ones I said was drinks. Um, just like I love hot coffee on a cold morning like today. I love a nice cold drink of water after an exercise or uh, mowing the yard. I love a cold Dr. Pepper any time of the day, no matter what the, the temperature is. Um, and so I, I just said, I mean, I love drinks. Um, and Ryan kind of made an off-the-cuff comment. He said, um, it might have been intentional, I don't know. But he said, man, think about it. God could have made water uh, bitter. Could have made it not taste good, right? Something we all need, and every drink kind of has water in some form or base in it. Um, he could have made it taste bad, but he didn't, right? And so I've, that that little conversation about drinks it, it was making me think about man how how generous and how good um, our God really is. And when we just stop for a minute and think about the little nuances and the little things that we enjoy throughout our day, the things that we get to do throughout our day, um, man, we have a lot to be thankful for. In Christ, and um, I, I don't want to minimize. You know, we also have a lot of hurt and a lot of suffering in this world because of sin, our own sin or sin committed against us, um, and that's real. And a lot of us are walking through hard things or hard seasons. Maybe I don't know where each of you are. Um, so I don't want to minimize that, but I want us today, as we look at the passage, to uh, remember. Um, who our king is, and that we have a lot to be grateful for. So Psalm 100, actually, let me back up real quick. 
I, I really, I, I got to read this quote because it's really good, and I put it on the, I put it on the slides. I don't want people to miss it. Um, but when I think about, when I think about having an attitude of, uh, of gratitude, as cheesy as that sounds, or being grateful, being thankful, um, when I think about drinks or things that the Lord has given me, uh, what I also notice is that, as grateful or content as I am in the Lord and what He's given me, I'm usually just one flat tire one long day at work, one really hard conversation, one whatever, you fill in the blank from not being very grateful, from being complaining, from being grumbling, from saying, woe is me, God, why have you forsaken me? You know, whatever it is, um, we can be pretty dramatic, right? And I realize how quick I am to forget the blessings, to forget the provision of the Lord that he has given me, that he has placed in my life. And, we can think about that and think, well, yeah, it's just, you know, a tough day. It's okay to complain a little bit, be upset. But uh, I want to read a quote for you guys by Nancy Lee DeMoss from her book, uh, Choosing Gratitude. She says, The consequences of an ungrateful spirit are not as readily seen as, say, those of a contagious disease, but they are no less deadly. Western civilization has fallen prey to an epidemic of ingratitude. Like a poisonous vapor, the subtle sin is polluting our lives, our homes, our churches, and our culture. And man, I read that and I think, if we have a gratitude problem, we probably have a heart problem as well. And I think about, um, you know, John Piper, he, his definition of sin that he likes to use is preferring anything to Christ. I think, in those moments when I'm grumbling and I'm complaining, and I feel like I've been cheated or I'm missing out on something, um, who is on the throne of my heart right now? Because it's not the Lord. Is it the idol of comfort? Is it idol of self? Um, and I think in those moments, I find myself preferring things to Christ a lot, right? Falling short, sinning, um, because I didn't get what I wanted, right? So, Psalm 100, we're going to look at this Psalm of Thanksgiving talks about I mean, praising the Lord, giving thanks to the Lord. It's also a psalm in a, in a group of, of eight psalms, starting in Psalm 93, goes all the way to 100, that really talks to and points out the, uh, the kingship and the reign of God, right? And so I want to, we're going to talk about that a little bit, but I want to read the text one more time, and then uh, we'll jump right into it. Psalm 100, a psalm of thanksgiving. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his. His people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. So my prayer for us today is that, man, we would just be reminded how much we have to be grateful for, specifically in our king. You know, we could, I, I don't really want to look at it through the lens of how we can be more grateful or things, to, five ways to practice gratitude, but I want to look at um, who we have to be grateful in, how much we have to be grateful for, specifically our king, King Jesus. So I want to look at uh, the command that he gives in, in verse three. He gives several commands, but uh, I think this one is the most important. So verse three, he starts off, he says, Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, 
and we are his. So acknowledge that the Lord is God. Trevin Wax, he writes in, a, in an article for the Gospel Coalition, he says that he is convinced that this is the most offensive verse in the Bible. Right in the middle of a psalm of thanksgiving, the most offensive verse in the Bible, in his opinion. Um, seems harmless at face value, I think, but then as you, you think about the command, acknowledge the Lord as God, the reason he says this, right, is because when we're, we're presented with this truth that the Lord is God, it's not, it's not true if you acknowledge it. It is true, and he's commanding you to acknowledge it. You either receive it or you reject it, right? It's not a in-between, yeah, he's, I think he's kind of Lord. He's Lord some days, and he is Lord all the time, right? So we either receive that or you reject it. And the cool thing is, like, God doesn't need you to acknowledge him as Lord for it to be true, right? Because nothing about him, who he is, is contingent upon me, contingent upon you, right? He is who he is. He is above all. He's before all. And I love also uh, where it says, after it says, acknowledge the Lord as God, it says, he made us and we are his. Some translations, instead of we are his, it says, and not we ourselves. So it would read, he made us and not we ourselves, it's a simple reminder that he is creator, we're creation, he's in control, we are not, right? That's good. That's a good thing. The Lord is in control, we are not, right? Because our king is the king of kings, right? He's the preeminent one, he is above all, he is before all, he is the alpha, he's the omega, the accolades, the names go on and on and on. We could talk all day about who God is, right? But he answers to no one. That's who he is. He's the king of kings. That's why in verse one when it says, shout triumphantly to the Lord, we can shout triumphantly, right? Not because it's Thanksgiving and the Cowboys won or our family and friends are around and I'm just feeling good. Yeah, God's good. Let's shout triumphantly to him or because we're having a great day, we're in a good headspace. No, who God is what he does, who he says he is, is not contingent, like I said, upon who we are or how we're feeling that day, right? We shout triumphantly to him because he has triumphed over sin and death, right? We are on the winning side. We know how the story ends. We know who holds our future, right? We're on the winning side. When, I think, when I, I'm thinking, as I'm writing this sermon, I'm thinking about this. Um, this is kind of like a hard turn, so I'm prefacing it. Um, uh, First thing that came to my mind was was a uh, Twitter. Um, I'll explain. Um, we each we each have a you know a social media of our choice. Some of you don't use social media at all. You think you're better. You think you're better than us. Uh, you are. You're better. Uh, I'll admit it. I'll admit it. Um, but I, I like Twitter. And you know if I'm scrolling through, it's usually for sports. But inevitably there will be some sort of news post or something political or someone mad about something that somebody. Did or some law that's trying to get passed, and it's only you know a matter of time before I'm frustrated or I'm annoyed because I'm like, oh my gosh, how could someone say that or how could somebody think that or that's so hateful or that is evil? You know, it doesn't take long whether you're on the news or on social media or you know just in public, and you're going to see uh, how fallen and broken our world is, right? And that's when it's good to remember, man. We are on the winning side. And I'm grateful that my allegiance is not to this political party, this candidate, this ideology, 
this country even, right, but our allegiance as believers is to Christ, the victorious king, right, who is unlike anyone else, right? No one is like our God, right? And the Israelites, they knew this. Um, in Exodus 15, right after the Israelites are, are brought out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, um, the chapter is subtitled, Israel's song, and it's this long praise of God for who he is, what he's done, how he's delivered them. And verse 11 specifically, say, Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? So the answer is nobody, right? And they know this. They're praising God. Man, look at what our God has done. Look at what he's brought us through. So then as soon as the song ends in Exodus 15, literally three verses later, it reads, they grumbled to Moses, right? I mean, three verses, just like that. How quick they are to forget what the Lord has done. Just like I mentioned a minute ago. So quick to forget what the Lord has done. And I remember being younger, you know, uh, reading about the Israelites, hearing the stories of, uh, man, their deliverance from Egypt. And then they're complaining. They're like, man, if only we were back in Egypt where we had potted meats and we were, had somewhere to sleep at night, right? And saying that... Um, what is manna? This is, we, we need something else. We need quail. Like, we don't have water. And taking too much. And where are we going? I don't know what's going on. And like, how dumb can you guys be? Like, look at what God's done for you. He sent the plagues. He let, set you free from Egypt. He parted a sea. You got to walk through it. He's leading you by, by a day with a cloud of smoke and by night with a cloud of fire. He brings water up out of a rock from the desert. He brings bread from heaven every single day. Nobody would just wants for a second be like, this is actually insane. Our God's pretty great, right? No, they're just like, oh, we want something else to eat, you know? And I remember thinking that, and then at one point, it was just kind of like this wave of a sobering reality, like, oh, I'm the Israelites. We're the Israelites. And then you start thinking, well, I mean, I wouldn't want to eat the same thing every day either. I can see what they're <laughs> You know, and then they're like, no, 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 no. Man, how quick we are to forget what the Lord has done for us. You just want to be like, man, God's going to take care of you. Like, we say that to other people. We'd see like, when someone else is going through, man, God's going to take care of you. Don't worry. But then it happens to us, and we kind of lose our bearings. We lose sight. We begin to, God, why are you doing this? Why are you, what's going on? Complain, complain, complain. What I love, though, is how the Lord responds to the Israelites the same way he responds to us. And he continues to lead. He continues to provide for them. And 40 years in the desert, there's obviously you know, consequences for their sin and disobedience that we're not going to get into, but he's there providing food, providing water, leading the way every day, right? The same he does for us. You know, I mentioned a minute ago that God doesn't need you to acknowledge him as Lord. But what's beautiful about our king is that he does want you to acknowledge him as your Lord, he wants that relationship with you because unlike other kings, unlike other gods, little g, gods, uh, he knows you and he cares about you because our king, he's the king of kings. I mean, the great paradox is he's also the gentle king. Verse three, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. And we don't serve a king who is on the throne barking orders down uh, to us lowly, servants, right? We serve a king who is out in the pasture with us, desiring to do life with us, desiring to be with us, desiring for us to know him, right? That's why we can, with joy, do what he commands us to do in verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness 
and come before him with joyful song. We don't serve a tyrant, wicked king. We serve a gentle king who is the king of kings, who is above all and answers to no one, but he stoops to lowly places to be with his sheep. Right? Man, what a king we serve that we can with joy serve him and with gladness we can bring songs to him. Right? Switch that around. Same thing. Man, he is our king, and he's also our good shepherd, right? I know my testimony growing up was uh, basically for a long time I was living a salvation by works. That was um, just kind of how I viewed the Lord. Um, Not what I was taught, but just the, the, the bend of my heart, I felt like, Man, I've got to I've got to stop disappointing God. I've got to stop falling short um, because He's done so much for me. Last thing I want to do is continue disappointing Him, continue, you know, upsetting Him. Right. So I thought, man, if I just if I can just keep reading my Bible more consistently, if I just keep praying more, you know, if I can just maybe tell some more people about Jesus and not be so afraid to do things like that, then maybe uh, He's going to be He's going to be pleased with me. He's going to love me more. Right. And I just had. Uh, a construed vision of God's heart for me. I thought that it was somehow contingent upon my actions, upon my decisions, and the way I live my life. Um, and in reality, it was the opposite. It's a great picture of God's heart right here in John 10 as the good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Man, as our shepherd, Christ's demeanor towards us is not, oh my gosh, they're roaming off again. They're out of the pen again. Or, man, look what they've done now. Or, i got to go clean up Nick's mess again. I'm really disappointed in him. I'm really upset. This is so frustrating. The way we would respond if we were the ones in charge, if we were in control. No, he doesn't respond to us like that. But a lot of us feel that way when we fall short. Right? I think of the prodigal son. We have this mindset of, okay, I'm, I'm going back to my father's house, but i gotta, I got to get clean. got to get my act together. I'm not going to ask if I can be his son again. I'm just going to ask if I can serve, I can be a servant, you know, then maybe he'll, maybe he'll say yes to that. I know he's going to be disappointed. He's probably not going to want to see me. And we feel that way. That's how I felt for a long time. Or maybe, maybe you're the, you're the other, you're the other son. Man, you've been around, you've been following the rules, you've been doing things, but you aren't serving the Lord with gladness. You aren't coming before him with joyful song. You serve out of bitterness or out of contempt or out of some sort of hurt or brokenness that you feel like you've been cheated or you deserve something else neither of which are grateful or really have a good understanding of how their father feels about them and loves them. They're caught up in what is ultimately a means to an end of the way we should, we should uh, go before him, the way we interact with him, the way we, uh, the disciplines, right? We, we get caught up in the actions rather than the relationship. And God the whole time is saying, man, just come to me. I just want you to be with me. I want you to know me. Dane Ortland and Gentle and Lowly um, says this. If you haven't read Gentle and Lowly, uh, read it. I think there's some copies out there for purchase. Black Friday, so maybe, I don't know. Um, pick one up, though. Great book. 
He says this, if you are part of Christ's own body, your sins evoke his deepest heart, his compassion and pity. He takes part with you, that is, he's on your side. I love this part right here. He sides with you against your sin, not against you because of your sin. He hates sin, but he loves you. We understand this when we consider the hatred a father has against a terrible disease afflicting his child. The father hates the disease while loving the child. Indeed, at some level, the presence of the disease draws out his heart to his child all the more. And Christ hasn't written you off. He hasn't written any of us off because of our sin. Right? He hasn't turned his back on us because we've disobeyed, because we've fallen short, because we're broken. But he's drawn to us all the more. These are the people he came. He came to seek and save the lost, right? We fit that box, every one of us. We fit that box, right? So he's the king of kings, but he's also the good shepherd. He is the gentle king who wants to be with you. He wants you to be in his pasture, not so you don't mess up or get in trouble, but so that you're with him so that he's with you, right? I think about Christ as the shepherd, and I think about um, this story. I got to spend a, a few months in Africa one summer when I was in college in, in Mozambique, and um, basically the, the job of the ministry was to go to a different village. We would set up camp, and then we would go and pick up people at the border from uh, a team from the U.S. or from South Africa, and then they would come, and we would, they would share the gospel with people and dig a water well, and they would pack up and leave, and we would stay behind and pack everything up, and go to the next village and get ready for the next team to come. And so one, one night in particular, we were out in, uh, in Mozambique, and just for some context, there's, there's no water, running water, there's no electricity for hundreds of miles. We're just in the African bush, the jungle, basically. And uh, they say, hey, we need you to go get uh, a local missionary the next village over. He's going to spend the week with us. And I was like, that's great. I don't, you're going to have to tell me where to go. I've never, I don't know where I am. <laughs> so like, okay, we'll send the, they sent the pastor um, of the village and an interpreter with us, and so they kind of leading the way. I'm driving. Um, Pastor Highway is in the back seat, and uh, it, that's I guess no importance except that uh, I like his name, Pastor Highway. And we're uh, so we're driving. It's night. We're going to pick up Masongo, also a cool name, uh, missionary. And uh, it's about a 45 minute drive through the jungle. And uh, if you've ever seen Ace Ventura. That's basically what it is the whole way. You're not on a road, okay, in the middle of nowhere. We're going, we've been driving for about 30 minutes. They're talking the whole time in their own language, and I'm just kind of soaking in the moment of I'm driving in Africa with, with these guys. This is cool, cool adventure. And uh, about 30 minutes down the road, come around this corner, and there's like 100 cattle just walking across the road very slow. So we stop. We're just waiting. They're still talking. I'm just, you know, waiting for the next turn to be told to take. And... Uh, these cattle cross highway from the back seat points, says something. And I was like, what do he say? And he said, uh, oh, that's his bull walking by. And so just for a little context, no fences. We're not, we're not, we're not like passing different pastures as we go. It's just everything's open. There's no ear tags for the cattle. No, there's no cows that are branded or anything like that. And uh, so he says that, and I just said, what do you mean? And he says, oh, that's his bull. And I said, how does he know? And I still remember it because it was just absurd what he said. He goes, uh, yeah, it's his. <laughs> it's like, first off, that's not an explanation at all. <laughs> but he's like, yeah, he just knows it's his. And I was like, what the? That doesn't make any sense. You know, I was, my first thought is obviously bewilderment. And then uh, the second thing, I, as I was thinking about it, I was like, 
I'm going to use that in a sermon one day. Um, so I'm checking that off the list. But, uh, man, I thought about that. And I was like, man, that's the way the Lord views us, his sheep, right? Wherever we roam, wherever we go, and he knows us, right? He knows where we are. He knows where we've gone. The difference between Pastor Highway and God is, well, one of the differences is, uh, <laughs> is that, man, God doesn't just know where we've roamed. But, man, wherever we've gone, man, he is with us. And the whole time he's pursuing us and he's calling us back, welcoming us back into the fold, desiring for us to come back to him, right? He doesn't just stop and know where we are, man, but he is going the extra mile making sure that we're loved and seen and known and being pursued, right? So verse five, it says, for the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. And so I mentioned, you know, he goes the extra mile. He continues to pursue us. He's not only the gentle king, but he is the generous king as well. He's not just keeping tabs on us. He's not overlording us, making sure we stay in the pen, stay out of trouble, keeping us out of harm's way. I mean, he is inviting us, and he has invited us on this grand adventure of life with him, right? He desires it for us to know him, to be always growing, to be more like him, so that we might experience life to the full. Like, like I mentioned kind of jokingly about the drinks, those little subtleties, the things that he has given us and gifted us with, man. When we are grateful and understanding who he is and our relationship with him, man, we can experience life the way we were created to experience and the way it was intended to be experienced because he is the generous king. And when I think about the generosity of the Lord, hopefully it goes without saying that he is generous with his resources, with our stuff, right? I think about... Um, man, just who he is. There's no, when he gives, he gives above and beyond. There's no shortage to what he gives, to what he can give. There's no end to his riches or his means. He has it all. Anything that we have is his, right? He can meet our needs, no problem. No problem at all, right? And I think the quicker that we are to realize or at least remember that everything that we have or possess is his, then the more grateful, the more content, the freer, we're going to be, right? Because you start to remember, man, God is, he's bestowed this upon me. He's given us these things. The same thing that we were yelling at the Israelites, God's going to take care of you. And we can remember, God is going to take care of you. He has taken care of you. He will continue to take care of you, just like he took care of the Israelites, because he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's unchanging. He's going to take care of you. So when we are quick to yell that or encourage that to somebody else, Breathe it in this morning and be grateful that your king is the generous king, right? He's generous with his possessions. And I hope that as we begin to remember that, we will slowly release the depth grip on some of the things that we hold so near and dear to us, whether that's actual possessions or our time or our finances, our homes, um, whatever it is. I think that when we see how generous the Lord is, he in turn increases our gratitude and, and makes us gives us generous hearts as well because we see, man, this isn't mine anyways. This is the Lord's. And when he changes our heart, it becomes less about, look at what the Lord has given me and more about, look at what the Lord has given me. Come experience this with me, please. What I find amazing, though, outside of God's ability to bless us and be generous with his resources, is his generosity with himself, 
the, the greatest resource, the greatest thing he give us himself. He says in verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. This is a command, but I also love, it's, a, it's an awesome picture of the temple. You know, this wasn't the way it was necessarily created to be um, whenever they laid out the rules for the temple, but over time it became where there was an outer court where the Gentiles were allowed, there was an inner court where the Jews were allowed, and then there was, you know, the inner parts of the temple, the Holy of Holies, where only the priests were allowed, right? And so you think about that, um, there's this separation, this breakdown of race, religion, all these things that, man, you can come in here, but don't go past this line. You can come in here, no further. This is as close as you can get, right? Verse 1, man, the, 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 uh, the psalmist, he says, let the whole earth shout to the Lord triumphantly, right? He doesn't say, Jews, Israelites, shout to the Lord triumphantly. Let the whole earth shout to the Lord triumphantly. So we see this invitation for all into the inner court. Man, everyone who's a child of God is welcome in to the kingdom, who's welcome in to the inner court. God invites us in, but then he doesn't stop there, right? Like I said, we know how the story ends, right? But our king didn't want a barrier between him and his people. He desired for us to know him, for us to be together. So the father, what does he do? He generously sends the son to take our place on the cross, and the son steps in and generously lays his life down, paying the price for our sin, for our wrongdoings, for our shortcomings when he was perfect, taking our place generously. So then you think about the Holy of Holies. The veil is torn when Christ is resurrected. When Christ dies, the veil is torn. The separation between God and man is no more. The king and his people can be together because of his generosity, because of his love for us. And when I think about this transaction that takes place when you know he invites us in to the, the innermost parts of the temple. He desires that intimate relationship with us. What he had to do to do that. Christ lays his life down. What does he gain? He gains, he gains us. Relationship, intimacy with us. His stinky, dirty, stubborn sheep. What do we get? We get the king of kings, the lord of lords, prince of peace, right? We were brought in to covenant relationship, not just a gravy train to heaven one day, but we are immediately ushered into eternal life with Christ, right? And it's become less and less as we know him about, man, I get to go to heaven one day and it's gonna be great. I get to do, live forever, right? It comes more about, man, I get to be with Jesus. Not one day, but now, today. I can experience it, I can be grateful for it, and I can rest in him, in his finished work. And we think about and what we get versus what he gets, that generosity doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't really compute. You sit about it, you think about it, you can meditate about it as long as you want. It's never gonna, I don't think we're ever gonna come to a, a rationale of, okay, I see where he's coming from. No, it, it doesn't make sense. He loves us. And what a king we have that he'd be willing to do that just so he could be with his people. He could be with his sheep, Right? I'm about to wrap up, but I want us to, as we close, just think about, uh, I pray that as we go, we're thinking about our king, and we're thinking about him with grateful hearts, that we would, um, and we would remember less what, what it is he gives us. His generosity is important. Think about it. Don't forget it. But thinking about who he is and what it is 
that he's done for us, the lengths that he's gone to for us to know him. And I pray that we would grow in gratitude as we do. And I think uh, I'll leave you guys with this. In, in verse 3, it says, Acknowledge the Lord, that the Lord is God. Other translations uh, like the ESV, the NIV, a couple other ones say, Know that the Lord is God, or know the Lord your God. I think if we want to grow closer to our king, if we want to have that intimate relationship, if we want to grow in gratitude, amongst other things, and we have to get to know him. We have to draw near to him. We have to desire to be with him, right? The cool thing is, man, he is not hard to find, right? He has done the work. He has bridged the gap. All you have to do is turn to him, right? It's not a thousand steps and he took 999. You just got to take one step. No, he has done it all. He's there and he has invited you in. All it requires is to repent and turn from your sin and believe in the Lord. Some of you have done that and you've, you've been walking in that. Uh, others of you guys have done it before, but man, I don't feel like I'm close to the Lord. He's, you might have strayed. He hasn't, right? And he has followed you and pursued you the whole time. It's not a long walk back. He's waiting for you to turn back to him. And the, what's beautiful, man, is as, as we get to know him, as he continues to reveal himself to us, these commands that were given in Psalm 100, um, I think our heart naturally starts to lean to those things. And we shout triumphantly to him because we see our king is victorious. We serve him with gladness. We come before him with song. And because he is a gentle king who is worthy of our praise, who is worthy of our love, we can enter his gates and his courts with praise and thanksgiving because our king is worthy of praise. He is worthy to be known. He deserves our gratitude. And we can give thanks to him and bless his name because he is the name above all names, because he is worth it. So I encourage you, whether you know Jesus very well, whether you don't know Jesus at all, get to know him. Continue to get to know him. Pursue him because he is pursuing you and he has been from the moment you were born. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I, uh, man, as we think about the, this passage, I pray that, man, we would just be overcome with gratitude for who you are, that you have pursued us and run after us and chased us with the desire for us to know you for us to be brought into your family, to have a seat at your table. I pray that um, wherever we are this morning, if we're walking through life with hurt, with brokenness, that we would just remember that, uh, man, you have gone to such great lengths for us to know you, that your love and your riches, your mercy, they know no ends, that you will never stop pursuing us. I pray that, uh, Lord, you would increase our gratitude, um, not just for the sake of gratitude, but Lord, so that we might continue to encounter you, to see who you are, to see what you've done for us, and to see that, man, you, you truly are worthy of our praise. We love you so much. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.